We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll give you a moment to get there. I had a, I guess you'd call him a coach. I, I seek out coaches and other things to see what I could do to make the preaching better, to make the services better and all. And some things they, some things they, they coach us in are, are really, really good. And other things are just kind of, they kind of miss the mark on. And I had one tell me one time, if you start a sermon by saying, turn in your Bibles too, then people are going to turn off. They're not going to listen to you. He says, start with your idea and then build into the Bible. And I thought, well, that just doesn't sound right at all. How about we start with the Bible and see what the Bible says? And then instead of trying to adapt the Bible to our thoughts, what if we start adapting our thoughts to what the Bible says? So I hope you didn't turn off when I said, turn to Nehemiah. It probably woke you up because half of you probably don't know where the book of Nehemiah is. For those of you that don't, it's in the very beginning of the Bible. There's an index, and it says Nehemiah, and you turn to a page. If you've got a good Bible like mine, it's on page 828. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter number 8. Let's go ahead and read through the the verses here in Nehemiah chapter number 8, verse number 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. I want to talk to you about a real church service. I think sometimes we think that we just come together, we sing a few songs, we hear a sermon, we shake a couple hands, and we go home, and that's a church service. But if that's what we're relegating our church service to, then we're kind of missing the mark. Church isn't just supposed to be something that we check off of a list. Church is supposed to be something that we not only experience, but that we participate in. It's worship. And worship has never been just a a sideline kind of business for Christians. Worship is something that we're supposed to be part of. I've been in churches for most of my life, off and on. I've probably been to thousands of church services, even before I was pastoring, I was in thousands of church services, whether it was Sunday morning or Sunday school or Wednesday night or, or some other class or some other study that was organized. And, and I've been in some church services that, and you could just feel the Holy Spirit in that place. You can feel him working. And I've been in other church services where it just feels like you're at a funeral, where people can't pay attention, where people don't want to pay attention. People are more interested in complaining or gossiping or or doing something other than worshiping Jesus Christ. We must, underst- we must understand that this is more than just coming together to sing some songs and hear a message. You're supposed to take an active part in a church service. So in Nehemiah, oddly, in Nehemiah, we kind of get a picture, a snapshot of what worship is supposed to look like, what a church service is supposed to look like. And I say ironically because the church doesn't actually exist for thousands of years after this. But nevertheless, in Nehemiah, we see the way we're supposed to be today. First thing I want you to see in Nehemiah, we want to have a real church service. God's people must assemble together. You notice what's happening here in in verse number one. It says, and all the people gathered themselves together. We gather together as the church. There's this huge move out there that says the church isn't the building. The church is the people. We don't have to gather together. And there's a little bit of truth in that. And there's a little bit of falsehood in that. The church isn't the building. I think we all know that. The church is the people. But the church is not individual Christians. The church is the called out body of believers. 
The word church is translated from the Greek. That word church is ekklesia. Now, an ekklesia was a term that was used before the church came into existence. It was a word that already existed, and ekklesia was usually a government body. It was what we might call a task force today. It was where the government would say, we need a, a, a call-out body. We need a group of people to focus upon this. And so the government would call out people and say, okay, you people, you come out, you gather together, you be an ecclesia and solve this problem. So when Jesus Christ started his church on the earth, he began by calling out people from the masses. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Come and see. And so he and his disciples begin to call people out. And those called out body of believers, those called out people became the first church. Jesus Christ established the first church while he was here alive on the earth. It didn't happen at the day of Pentecost. Matter of fact, at the day of Pentecost, the church was already meeting. And so we see that the people must gather together. Sitting home, you're not part of the church. You may be a Christian, you may be born again, but you're not part of the church. We need to understand that these words matter and these definitions matter. I praise God that today we have the technology that people can watch the services from home. And some people, that's their only option. They don't drive, they can't drive. They don't have anybody to take them to church. They live in an area where there aren't any good churches. And so that's their only option. Their only option is to join us online. But if you're able-bodied and you're sitting at home right now, you're not part of the church. You're part of the disobedient. God's people must gather together. Where are these people in chapter number 8, verse number 1? And all the people gathered themselves together. They gathered themselves together. We must gather together. But not just gather together. We need, we need to gather together with unity. We must, we must assemble or gather together with unity. Look what it says. How do they gather themselves together? As one man. What does that mean? That means they were all focused on a purpose. Remember I told you the government would call ecclesias for a purpose? The church was called out with a purpose. You know what the purpose of the church is? Go and tell all the world. We are to go, we're to tell the world, we're to teach, and we're to baptize. That's why we're, we were called out as an ecclesia. We were called out as an ecclesia. And until we get that done, we don't get recalled. and We never get it done. Eventually the Lord has to come back. We get a new heaven, we get a new earth. But the church doesn't fulfill its purpose here. So the church isn't antiquated. The church is still relevant today. And we need to be called together in unity as one mind, as one body. Not my mind, not my body, his mind, his body. And if we're properly prepared before we get here, that's the way we come in. That's the way we come in. We assemble together. There will be no division in a real church service. The real church service, people, people get out of the car ready for worship. They get out of their car ready to serve. Their hearts, their minds, are when they enter the building, are 100% focused upon the Lord. Why? Not because they just turned the switch on, because they were ready before they got in their car. They were ready to worship. Not only do we assemble in unity, we must assemble regardless of convenience. I know it's more convenient to stay at home and watch the services in your pajamas. I know. But that's not what we're called out to. 
I know it's more convenient instead of wasting the gas or spending the 10 to 15 minutes to drive to church, or in some cases, five minutes to drive to church. I know it's just more convenient to power up your computer. I understand. But we're to gather together whether it's convenient or not. It says into the street, they gathered into the street that was before the water gate. You see where they're meeting? They're meeting outside at a busy gate. It's not like it's even a secluded area. This is the gate that everybody carrying water in and out of the city, this is where they would travel through. It was a busy gate because people need water every day. And they met there in the street. They didn't have any place else to meet. And so they would meet there at the water gate. There was not a beautiful sanctuary or a cathedral or a church building or a tabernacle, but they were still called out. You see, we don't have to have this building to be a church, but we need to be gathered. We need to be called out. We need to assemble together. The church has power. You know, it, it breaks my heart to see Christians on Facebook or out in public, and they just they see me, and they all they want to do is, oh, this is going bad in my life, and this is going bad in my life. But you never see them in church. There's power in the church. There's power that comes here when we get together and we assemble together. There's power involved in that. And we sit home and we shun that power and we sit in our couches, we sit in our darkness and we fret and we wonder why, why are things getting so bad? And we start to doubt God. We start to hate God. We start to turn away from God and other Christians. We don't even want to see other Christians anymore. Nextly, we must assemble with a desire if we want to have a real church. With desire. Like I said, this isn't just checking a box on a list. There needs to be a desire to come to church. I love when the grandkids stay with me. Because, you know, on Saturday, the grandkids will say, oh, what are we doing tomorrow? Well, tomorrow we're going to church. <gasps> we get to go to church? Yeah. How many of you last night were going to bed saying, tomorrow we get to go to church? We need that, we need that desire, that energy of a child. We need to be looking forward to church. The world is rough. The world will tear you down. The world will spit you out. But the church, it's where we get around like-minded believers and we begin to edify, we begin to build each other up. It's more than just filling up our tank for the week. We get repaired, we get nourished. We get around like-minded believers where we're able to tune out all the garbage that's out there that's constantly being poured into us and we get to have a time where we can focus upon God with other believers. We need to come with a desire. Notice what they did here. They gathered together. They spake unto Ezra. Now understand, Ezra is old at this point. We, we'd probably say he's semi-retired, although that wasn't really a concept in the Bible. He just slowed down a lot. And so they get together and they're like, hey, we're together. Let's get Ezra. Bring Ezra out. Bring the word of God out. Let's see what's in the word of God. Let's see what Ezra's got for us. They were excited to be there. They desired to be there. They wanted to see what Ezra had. It says, And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. People come to church for a number of reasons. Some come for the emotional response. Some come to see a comedian. Some come to see a performance. Some come to see a speaker, an eloquent speaker. They come for a lot of things. They come for motivational speeches. 
They come for a legendary preacher, a preacher of renown with a bunch of letters after his name. These people are like, bring us Ezra. You know why they wanted Ezra? Not because it was Ezra. Ezra had the word. They weren't blessed like we were where everybody can have their own Bibles. Everybody can. Ezra had the word. They gathered together like, we got to have Ezra. Ezra's got the word. We need the word. We don't need any comedians. We don't need any soapbox sermons. We don't need entertaining stories. We don't need eloquent sermons from distinguished pastors. We need more of, thus saith the Lord. That's what we need. We need to open up God's word, and we need to examine it, and we need to see what it says, the comfortable parts, the uncomfortable parts, the in-season parts, the out-season parts, and we need to take it, and if it makes us uncomfortable, we need to understand that that's us, not God, and we should desire that change. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto, the, unto us which are saved, it is the what? The power of God. This is the power of God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the power. We're going to live our lives like this. <sighs> Woe is me. Why won't God do anything in my life? Why won't God help me? He did. He gave you the power. I love cordless screwdrivers. You guys like those? Remember the old days? Some of you guys remember the old days. You had to put a screw in, you had to screw, 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 right? And so now, when I'm using a cordless screwdriver and the battery goes dead, you know what I do? I have the whole handle, and I'm going, turn the handle, turn the handle, because I don't want to wait for the battery to charge up. And it's hard. It's not easy. You know why? There's no power. The power's gone. And we laugh at that like that, but that's how Christians live their life. They claim God, they proclaim God, but they have no power in what they're saying. And they're just turning that handle, turning that handle, trying to get something done. They're living in their own life. You know what the problem is with living in your own life and living in your own power? It's hard. And it doesn't last very long. You get a cordless screwdriver and you're putting in the screws, you're like zip, 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 zip. You're doing it by hand. 20 screws, that's a day's long project for some of us. You turn it and you turn it. The wood's hard, man. It may take me a week. Turning and turning and turning. And then what normally happens is I get frustrated. The screwdriver gets a little crooked and I end up stripping out the head. And I beat it with a hammer. And that's how we live our lives. God, why isn't this working? Why is this? So what do we do? We beat it with a hammer. With our will, our desire, instead of going to the power, instead of coming together in the service, instead of reaching out to God for power and gathering together and praying, what do we do? We try and do it all in our own power. And we wonder why God's silent. We wonder why God's silent. We must assemble with our family. Did you guys catch that, by the way? Did you see who's there? Oftentimes, particularly the Old Testament, oftentimes it's just the guys. Or even if it is the other people, they don't mention the women, they don't mention the children, they just mention the guys. When they're feeding the 5,000, all they mentioned was the men. The 5,000 was the men. They never counted the women, they never counted the kids. We don't know how many's there, probably closer to 20,000. We don't know. But you notice here what it says? Verse number two, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. Well, the men and women are there. Who are these that can hear with understanding? It's the kids. It's the kids. Now, I'd imagine the babies are there, but it's not talking about the babies because the baby can't comprehend the word. But the six-year-old's there. Ten-year-old's there. Not a man, not a woman yet, but they can understand. We need to bring our kids. We need to bring our grandkids. We need to do whatever we can to get our families in here. Your, your first mission field is your house. 
You need to be praying for them. Don't be obnoxious. There's nothing worse than an obnoxious Christian. Well, maybe an obnoxious atheist. But you ever been around an obnoxious Christian? You ever gone soul winning with an obnoxious Christian? Oh, goodness. you go soul winning and you come back to give a report and they're like, hey, did anybody get saved? No, but by God, they know. Like, oh, no. What did you do? And now you know when you have to go back and try and talk to that person about God again, there's a wall. Nobody likes an obnoxious Christian. We're to go and tell. We're not to argue. We're not supposed to yell and shout at the lost. Go and tell. What they do with it, that's between them and God. We're not used car salesmen. We don't have to trick or convince people. Just go and tell. That's it. Your job's pretty easy. You're not responsible for the results. We want to be responsible for the results. That'll, that'll drive you nuts if you think you're responsible for the adults because then you start counting. Oh, I told 100 people, only one accepted. Well, praise God, one accepted. If you're going to look at numbers, look at that number. But don't fret over the 99. Because maybe they didn't accept Christ as their Savior today. Maybe they will next week. Maybe they will on their deathbed. Maybe they will next month because you left them so that somebody else could come. Maybe they will next month when the next person comes by and they're like, hey, you know, I heard this before. And where they wouldn't listen to you, they'll listen to the other person. You plant that seed. You water that seed. God gives the increase. Not us. But it's the whole family. The whole family. Church. Church should be a family event. A family event. We want to have real church services. We need God's people to give to him. We need God's people to give to him. What do we give to them? First of all, we give them our time. We give verse number three. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attended unto the book of the law. He preached for half the day. They gave him time. They're not like, oh, can't fit place to fill it up, preacher. You got to get hurrying up here. We got to get a good table. I want to sit by the fish tank. They were attentive. They didn't have anything else on their minds. They gave them the people. The people gave their time. We have a hard time listening to a thirty-minute sermon. I've been told by other coaches that if you preach more than twelve minutes, you're going to lose the congregation. Nobody told Ezra. Ezra preached for half the day. We go to foreign countries. The foreign countries, and they come in and they're preaching. If they do a thirty-minute sermon, there's something wrong. The people get mad. You preach too quick. Fortunately, everything I preach in a foreign country has to go through a translator, so it doubles the time. But notice what it says there at the beginning. It wasn't just about the time. Notice what it says there. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. It wasn't just a long sermon. They paid attention. They weren't nodding off. They weren't looking at their phones. They weren't worrying about what the other person was wearing. Or who's sitting with who? They were focused upon the law. They were focused upon what Ezra was sharing with them. All the people. It didn't say, and the ears of some of the people were attentive. All the people. The men, the women, the children. They were attentive. Why were they attentive? Because they were ready. Remember, they got out of their cars ready. When they got up in the morning, they were ready. They were looking forward to it. They had a desire 
to be there. They were all attentive. If we want to have real church service, we'll give him something else. We'll give him reverence. We'll give God reverence. Verse 4 says, And the scribes, and Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of the wood, which they had made for the purpose. Drop down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. They gave reverence. They gave him reverence. Notice they were, they were also ready. Ezra showed up, but do you know what he found when he showed up? They built a pulpit out of wood. Why? They built a pulpit. The pulpit is raised up. And when it says he's over the people, it doesn't mean that he's better than the people. It means he's lifted up. You know why he's lifted up? So everybody can hear. Everybody can focus on what he's saying. It makes the voice travel. He didn't have the, the benefits of speakers and microphones. And so he's behind that. But they built that before he got there. They were ready. They didn't show up at church at 10 o'clock and say, oh, I guess we'll try and participate today. They got there early and they built a pulpit. They probably started the day before gathering wood and supplies and things to get ready. This is what we did yesterday at work day. We were getting ready for today. That's what work day is about. We're showing God reverence because we're doing yesterday what needs to happen so that we can do today what we're doing today. Everything we do is about giving him reverence. Everything we do is about worshiping him. People came prepared. They built a pulpit. Yesterday, people were in here. And they were cleaning, and they were vacuuming, and they were wiping the dust off. They were updating computers, downloading software to make sure that the video presentation was, was, was perfect and seamless for today. They were practicing on the instruments to make sure that when, when the time came for this, they didn't put on a good show for them, but they put on a flawless, reverent performance for him. Every note's practiced. Every note is rehearsed. It's worship. Today's worship started yesterday. Actually, before that. Every time I open up the Bible to study, every time I, I write a word on this piece of paper, it's an act of reverence. As I go back and, and I start off and I've got nine pages, and I'm thinking, I'm not Ezra. I can't preach for six hours. I don't know if my voice would hold out for six hours. And then I whittle it down and I focus it and I pray about it. And God says, this is you, this is me. And I get rid of the me and I just keep the him. It's all about reverence. This isn't my word. This isn't my sermon. This is his sermon that he gave me for me and for you. We study all week for this so that we can be the best whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's standing here or sitting over there or standing behind that microphone, we're ready. We're ready. People came prepared. They came prepared. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to worship him long before we ever step foot in this building. If we do all that, we do all that You'll grow spiritually. Every person should leave here better than they came in. More mature, more developed. We have a nation 
of milk-fed Christians. You see, when Christians first get saved, it says they're like babies. What do babies drink? Babies drink milk, right? But babies aren't supposed to drink milk forever. Matter of fact, the baby gets to be two or three and they're still on the bottle. Other people start looking like, hmm. And I'm not getting into your personal choice how you raise your kids. But if the baby's not starting to desire more than just milk, there's something wrong, right? Particularly, we got all this great barbecue in town. Babies should be desiring, but we have Christians that are, have been Christians for 20, 30 years. They're still drinking milk. There's a lot more here than milk. There's not a ton of milk. Matter of fact, there's a little bit of milk. But there's a whole lot of barbecue in this. There's meat. There's potatoes. There's vegetables. All kinds of stuff in here. And you need to avail yourselves of all of it. Some of it's harder to digest. I understand. Some of it takes a little getting used to. But we have to have the milk. We have to have the meat. We have to have the broccoli. My wife feeds me broccoli. She fed me asparagus the other day. And she's always looking for a fight. I don't fight with her. I just look at it and go, oh, I don't like the broccoli. I despise the broccoli. But you know what I do with the broccoli? I don't have a dog. So I stick my fork in it, and I eat it first, by the way. Eat the broccoli first. Get it out of the way. And I eat it, and I just do it. And I get to parts of the Bible, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this part of the Bible. God, this is broccoli. I don't like broccoli. Can't we, can't we go back to some pizza or something? God's like, no, you got to have that broccoli too. So you know what I do? I study the broccoli. I eat the broccoli with the same intensity that I eat the pizza. And I may not like it, but that's me. That's my taste buds. He's doing me what's better for me. He's doing it for me. We'll grow spiritually. And isn't that kind of our goal? Individually? I talk to people all the time. Oh, I just don't feel like God's doing anything in my life. What was the last time you were in church? Oh, I don't go to church. I don't believe in that. A bunch of hypocrites. I was out on church visitation when I was a kid, like about 12, 13 years old. And my pastor, very, very outspoken, very fire and brimstone. Not a giant man, but a grown man. And we opened up the go to this door, this one house, and there's this biker dude, and he's just huge. And this is back, I'm going to offend some of you. This is when biker guys were scary. Now it's a bunch of old guys on bikes. They're, you're not as scary, you know. All the tattoos are down on your ankles and stuff because <laughs> everything just kind of sank down. But back when they were scary, we opened the door and we're like, I'm like, oh, and he just wasn't having it. He was not, he was not interested in us being there. And I remember the pastor, he tells the pastor, he's like, ah, oh, you people are all a bunch of hypocrites. Pastor, a little old pastor looks at him, he says, yeah, but there's always room for one more. Why don't you join us? And I'm like, we're going to die. And the guy just stopped and he stared at me. He says, I'll think about it. I'm like, that worked? I don't know if that would work for me. Yeah, there's hypocrites here. There's sinners here. Sinners wrote some of this. God used sinners to write all of this. Paul said, I'm the chiefest. You want to see a sinner? Paul says, you want to see a sinner? Here I am. But I don't know that. I know about Christ. I know about him crucified. You see, we don't come to church for everybody else. We come to church for our relationship with God so that we can draw closer to God. If we can edify and bring some people up with us, praise God, that's even better. But it's about our relationship with God. God's people will, will grow spiritually. It says that they read the book and the, the law of God distinctly in verse number eight and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. 
See, when the word is preached, the people understood. The people learned. And the people grew spiritually. We live in a time where there are Christians who have been saved for decades and they're still drinking milk. Guys, you got to grow up. we got to get, get into churches that, that teach the word and don't just hand out bottles at the door. We don't have time for skinny jeans and smoke. I was watching a church service online, and, and I honestly, it was just something that came up in my, my news feed on Facebook, and I'm going by, and I'm like, why am I getting ads for nightclubs? Here's a stage with these performers, and they're in skinny jeans and, and tore up T-shirts, and they're singing, and here's everybody down in the mosh pit, and they're jumping up and down, and there's smoke, and there's lights, and everything. Like, Why am I getting a, a nightclub on my news feed? And I looked, and it was a church. I'm like, really? I can't even understand what the guy was singing. Because once I realized it was a church, I'd turn the volume up and see what was going on. I have no idea what he was singing. Nobody else could possibly understand the words. It was loud. And then it's funny because the, the, the camera would pan across this crowd in the back. You see like four old guys going. They know. They know when they're, they're in the wrong place. They're not doing anything about it. So they're just as wrong as everybody else. That's not what church is. Church isn't a nightclub. Church isn't a mosh pit. That's the world. We're not called to be like the world. We're called to transform the world to be like the church. This is what the problem with our country is. The, country, the problem with our country is too many churches are trying to be like the world. The world's broke. The world can't be fixed, not by worldly people, not by worldly standards, but we expect politicians and social workers to fix our country, and they can't. You know why? They're broke, and they're fallible, and they're insufficient. They've been measured. They've come up short. There is one that can fix our country. That's him. There's one that can fix our world. That's him, and that's the word we need to be proclaiming. Nobody wants to see me in skinny jeans anyways. I may do that one day. <laughs> we have real church service. God's people will worship him. Verse number six says, of Nehemiah chapter number eight, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Do you see that picture? You know what I see? I see a lot of people sitting and not moving. You know what happened when Ezra read the word of God? People got up. They raised their hands and not to exalt themselves. They looked at the ground with bowed heads. Because it's not about them. It's about him. They responded to the word with worship. They responded. Not just the songs, but the worship. We're lucky if we get one or two people in here to say amen. But they worship vocally. They weren't quiet. It wasn't a museum. When the word of God was proclaimed, they said amen. They said hallelujah. They said praise God. They said tell us more. When was the last time you said amen in a service? Let's practice. Let's all say it together. Say amen. Amen. Did you die? Let's try a hallelujah. Ready? Hallelujah. hallelujah. Let's try it again. Say it again. Hallelujah. Do you need medical attention? You're going to be okay, right? 
Can you give me a praise God? Can you do it with your hands in the air? Say praise God. Are you going to be okay? Why, why is it so hard to do that? Part of it's our training, by the way. I'm not faulting you individually. Part of it's your training. Satan has trained you to sit down and shut up. You've been told that your whole life, right? When you're a kid, kids, kids are to be seen, not heard. You go to school, you're not encouraged to ask questions. If you ask questions, consider to be rebellious. They move your desk up by the teacher's desk. Remember once we had open house. And we get there and I'm like, this is great. I like school. My mom gets there and she says, she asks the teacher, she's like, why is my son's desk next to your desk? Well, you can kind of see where that conversation was going. I like to talk. They beat that out of me. We're trained to be quiet. We're trained not to ask questions. You ask questions about our government and you're a racist or you're a bigot. People attack you. You can't, can't even voice an opinion or ask a question without somebody attacking you anymore. People are getting violent over somebody wearing a t-shirt or a hat. We've been trained. When you walk in here, though, you got to set all that behind. you got to set it all aside. And we come in here, we got to get excited. we got to get excited when the music's playing. we got to get excited when the Word of God is preached. we got to get excited when the Word of God is read. And say amen. And praise God. Hallelujah. Preach longer, Pastor. Nobody repeated that one. We got to get vocal. We need to be loud. This isn't a museum. There's nothing disrespectful about speaking up in church. Say amen. Say praise God. We got to do that. They worship visibly. You know, it's hard to be invisible. I know some people want to be invisible, and I can relate. When I used to travel a lot, I'd look for churches that Wednesday evening services. I'd wait till like a minute before the service started out in the car. And then once I'd, once I'd hear some music playing, I'd sneak in the back door and sit on the back row. Every once in a while, I'd be one of the old country preachers say, Praise God, we got a visitor. Stand up and introduce yourself. And I'd just run out the door. <clears throat> because we want to be invisible. We need to be visible in worship. How are they visible? They raised their hands. Even at school, you raise your hand. Everybody, everybody's paying attention. Once, once you raise your hand, nobody's listening to the speaker anymore. Now they're, they're, they're looking at you at school. But here we need to be visible. We need to raise hands to God, particularly during the music. I don't know how people just get, they sing this song. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. How do you do that? I don't do. Do you do that, Danny? We have that. We have to have Velcro on the seat. Keep Danny in his chair over there. He keeps wanting to play with his feet on the piano. For those of you watching from home, he's the pianist, organist. Because it should be exciting. But some of you are acting like I don't know what would happen if you didn't have that power. I guess you'd just be dead or sleep. You'd be visible. Lifted up their hands. They bowed their heads and they worshipped humbly. You see, that's humility. If you're, if you're out someplace and you see a police officer and you see a guy standing anywhere near him like this, what's, what's happened? He surrendered, right? He gave up. 
That's the pose. The pose is, God, I surrender. I surrender all. Another great song I'm not going to sing right now. But that's it. We're coming to God. God. We're not saying I agree with everything. I'm just saying we understand everything. We're saying, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. That's the picture. But that's not what we get. Instead of people surrendering and raising up their hands and bowing their heads, what we get, uh, we're going to sing all four verses. Oh, it's a five-verse song. We're going to be here all day. But we participate more. By the way, here's, let me get off topic here a little bit. Not really off topic, but off off notes for a moment. If you don't like the music here, it's all hit. No. Uh, If you don't like the music here, this is is my recommendation. This is how you can change the music. Volunteer to be part of the music ministry. Change won't come from you complaining. Change won't come from you sulking. Change will come from you participating. You don't like the preaching? You don't like the teaching? Volunteer. Start teaching. Start serving. You don't like the way they clean the the church? Come out and clean it yourself. It's really that simple. Get involved. I've had people tell me, oh, we need to have this ministry. I'm like, I agree. When do you want to start it? Well, not me. Well, God wasn't talking to me about it. He was obviously talking to you about it. When do you want to start it? And they never mention that ministry again. What does that tell you? We need to worship vocally. They need to worship visibly. We need to worship humbly. They responded to the word with worship. When God's people have that intense desire for his word, it's just, it just comes out of it. It just comes out of it. I believe that everything we need to have a real church service is found in these eight verses. Do you want to have real church services? Will you assemble together in unity, regardless of convenience, with a desire for God's word, with your family? Will you do that? You want a real church service? Will you give to the Lord? Will you give him your time, your attention? Will you give him your reverence? You want to have a real church service? Do you truly seek to grow spiritually? Do you want to have a real church service? Will you come and worship the Lord vocally, visibly, and humbly? Because if you're willing to do those things, you'll see most amazing changes in your worship. Don't worry about what the person beside you is doing. Don't worry about what they're wearing or what they're saying or how they're singing off key or if they can sing better than you or if they dress better than you. Don't worry about those things. Worry about you. Worry about God. Because when we get these things in order, God will be honored. We get these things in order, God will be glorified. And we'll experience church in a way that we've never experienced it before. You'll experience a fullness in church that you've never experienced before. But are you willing to do what it takes? Are you ready to do what it takes?